You are listening to weekly messages from Austin Christian Fellowship. For more information about ACF, visit acfellowship.org. I love that you guys applaud. That's the first bumper video we've ever had that you guys have applauded after. And I don't know if it's because you think John's acting debut is so good or he looks great in his sweatpants or what, but I love that you love that. Good morning, everybody. My name is Will Davis, Jr., Welcome to Austin Christian Fellowship. I don't have the chance to know you yet. Thanks for coming. It's a great day to be in God's house. Um, it's a great day to be in Austin, Texas. How about the weather, guys? Has it just been like, yeah, saw my first blue bonnet this week. I always, I, I always pull over and greet them. I got out of my car and said, hey, guys, welcome back. You did another winter. It's so good to see you. Stay as long as you can. I realized I got out and talked to them. Every year I talk to blue bonnets. I'm that guy. I'm that guy you call 311 and say, there's this weird guy on the highway talking to the flowers. You might want to come pick him up. Um, If you don't have lunch plans, at 1 o'clock or about 1245, we'll be up in our prayer barn for the second of our No Love Serve Next Steps class. And even if you hadn't attended yet, you're welcome to come. Get to know the staff. We're going to talk today about our, our statement of loving uh, each other and loving Jesus will have our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what it looks like in the community to do that. It's a great class. We'll serve you lunch with childcare provided. If you didn't come last week, it doesn't matter. We'd love to have you this week. So if you have plans, we had some people come back after the service last week and join us. We'd love to have you do that as well. Um, it lasts about an hour. We'll be, we'll be out by two, so you're welcome to come. And then next week, I don't have a slide for this, but next week, we begin a series that's going to take us up to Easter, and I'm really excited about it. It's called Finest Hour. And it's, it's four weeks of looking at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And our thesis is that humanity's never been better than what you saw of Jesus in Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a, is a word for a wine press, an olive press. That you're at your best when you're being pressed and you're responding in God. And Jesus modeled for us how to do that. So it's gonna be four weeks leading up to Easter on that. It's gonna be a great series. We'll start that next weekend as we look at what Jesus modeled for us in prayer and community and how to suffer, how to wrestle with God. Think it's a little relevant right now? So join us for that. And finally, if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We're gonna give, we give Bibles away every single week. And we don't, we're not shy about it, so take one if you want it. You can keep it, or you can leave it in the pew. Did I really just say pew? Goodness gracious. The chair, when you're done, or we'll take care of it, but feel free to keep it if you want to. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. Mostly Matthew 11. Extra credit, Exodus 33, but Matthew 11 here in just a second. Let me pray. So, Lord, thank you for... Uh, today. Thank you for amazing weather in Austin, Texas. Thank you for our weekend we've had here at our church. And um, for the men who got to get out and get be together and worship and pray and grow. It always makes us better. Thank you for that. Thank you for all the things going on. Lord, some of us got a, have had a pretty rough morning, um, just as there's Part of our church today is really hurting and grieving. And um, just want to put that out there that, 
you know, there's days we come to church and we're really full. And many people today are having amazing, great, happy family kind of days. And some in the room are, are really, their worlds are spinning. And that's probably the way we meet every Sunday. So um, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for singing about the name of Jesus and how when we speak and sing and declare Jesus into our grief, into our confusion, into our joy, into our finances, into our conflicts, it all gets better. So I ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, to speak Jesus into our spirits right now, into our emotions, and to give us this thing we're going to talk about today, rest. Rest. Pray for the families who've been really convicted during this series, the men, women, boys, and girls who have wrestled with pace and hurry and overcommitment and trying to keep up or get ahead with all the stuff going on in culture. And I, I pray that your words, your invitation to us today will set some people free. Can't wait to share it. I pray you give me grace as I do. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 11. Um, really beautiful passage. So we're in this last week of this series called Full Throttle. And the first week we talked about um, just reducing our persistent movement and kind of the cr cultural crisis of hurry and why we all feel so much pressure to go so fast and, and the, the problems that does on your, makes on your body and, and your health and your emotions and your relational world. And it's just, it's hard to love well when you're in a hurry, et cetera, et cetera. Last week we talked about kind of letting our children, for those of you who have them, especially younger ones, dictate our pace and not us dictate theirs and maybe adjusting your life to the pace of a six-year-old, a five-year-old, curious, want to look at under every rock, look at every butterfly, pause at every breeze. That may not be a bad way for some of us to live, especially when you have the child at that age. And then finally, today we talk about this promise of this thing called rest. It's a perfect day for us to discuss it. Um, as we end in a minute, our band will come back up and we're gonna, she's, we're gonna, they're going to sing over us a song about letting the peace of God, the love of God, the healing of God come over us. And it'd be a great moment, a great way to end the series. But just some words today from Matthew 11, verse 28. They're some of the most beautiful words in all the scripture. And I just want to kind of speak them over you today and to you. Come to me. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me. All who are weary, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Can you imagine a presidential candidate saying, vote for me? because I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Whew. For my yoke is easy, 
and my burden is light. So the chapter divisions were not here in the original text. They were added centuries later. And what happens immediately following that wonderful teaching of Jesus is a conversation about the Sabbath and law-keeping and keeping up and performance. And Jesus kind of turns the teaching of the ruling party on, their, on its head and says, you're missing the point. This is not about rules. So I think it's always intriguing how Jesus loves to say, come to me. He's one of those crazy, allow the term please, religious leaders who didn't point out there and say, look, truth is out there, go do this and you'll be free. Here's my formula, uh, Islam, five steps to eternal life, five principles of Islam that get you somewhere. Jesus didn't do that. He said, come right here. Come to me. I'm not here to propose a program that will give you rest. I'm here to give you rest. And again, as you study Christianity, and I, forgive me, I didn't greet you guys online. I'm a bit distracted this morning. Welcome, as always. We're glad you're here. And some of you online are in the investigative stage. So as you investigate Christianity, you need to think about this, the self-centeredness of Jesus' teaching. It was all about him. Come to me. I'll give you rest. I mean, who says that? Who, who says that? So he says, come to me, and you're going to experience something you won't experience anywhere else. The, quali- the qualifications of those he is trying to draw are the weary and the heavy burdened. Uh, weary is someone who's, if you've ever been out in a field, a yard, I know you have, and you've worked all day long. You dug a ditch all day. If you've done mission trips down in Nicaragua, you know, building houses, uh, digging trenches, whatever, in the heat, the humidity. And it's how you feel at the end of the day when you're so tired and your muscles hurt so bad and you've sweat all your fluids out and you can hardly, just walking back to the house or the car or whatever, is, you just, it's that, it's, that's the word weary. It's from work. Now the context, again, is religious weary. Being weary from all the rules and regulations of trying to keep a God from breathing down your neck because that's what you were taught, is a God is a fire breathing, waiting to slap you. You don't mess up or he will come and get you. And so it's that weariness at the end of the day, which could be your life, of just trying to avoid the anger of a really mean God and the exhaustion of that. The word heavy laden is carrying someone who's weary from carrying a heavy load. And I, of course, go to backpacking, which I now hate these days. Used to love to backpack. I can't stand backpacking now because it just hurts the whole time. And you and you you when you get finally to take that load off and let it sit on the ground, you're like, oh, because you, your shoulders kind of respond and your back responds. And if you you know you hike up somewhere, spend hours getting to your destination, you finally get to campsite and the joy of taking that stupid pack off. If you've ever done that, or you carried a heavy suitcase through an airport or whatever. And the physical weight of just that load, that's the word heavy laden. And again, it's a religious context. The weight that you feel of the guilt of sin or a blown relationship or a failed marriage or a poor choice in young adulthood 
and the, the heaviness of that on your spirit and the constant barrage of the lies of the devil. You're a terrible person. You're a terrible Christian. A real Christian wouldn't act that way if they only knew and that, that weight. And that's, that's kind of the crowd Jesus is aiming for, which I think probably includes most of us. Come to me, he says. If that's you, isn't that great? He doesn't say, look, shame on you. I don't want to see you. But if you're that person who's worked to exhaustion or is carrying a burden that is about to break you, come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. The word rest is an intermission, a pause. It's the Old Testament musical rest, selah, a break, in the, a break in the action. I will, I, will, I will allow you that moment of catching your breath, of gaining perspective, and in that moment, I'd like to offer you an exchange. So he says, take my yoke. Take. You have to take it. Now, yoke, again, an agrarian image, was there was a yoke was that wooden and leather um, piece burden they put on the neck of an ox or two oxen. Someone had one necklace around it for one ox, one had two, but the better ones were just one because they were uniquely fitted for the ox. I mean, you could buy one and and put it on two, but the better the, the better the yoke, the better it fit the ox, because you don't want the ox getting chafed or bloodied from a bad fitting yoke. And so they would, they would really work hard on making sure that the, the yoke was tailor-fitted for the both oxen or one ox so the animal could perform at his best or her best and not get wounded in the process. So a really good-fitting yoke was important because these beasts are carrying major burdens. They're plowing fields. They're carrying water. They're doing whatever. And the better the yoke fit, the better their performance. Jesus says, take my yoke. And learn. Take my yoke and learn. When you, when you yoke yourself to me, and it's a good fitting yoke. And remember, Jesus was a carpenter. So there's all kinds of scholars, biblical scholars love to speculate. Like it didn't, they don't need any reason. They just like to speculate. So maybe Jesus made a bunch of yokes in his carpenter shop. Jesus' yoke factory, my yoke fits you really well. I read that this week. Give, them, give a scholar time and they're going to run with it. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble. And I will take the opportunity of yoking with you very seriously and I will treat you really well. I will not wear you out. I will not give you a burden you cannot bear. In fact, why don't we trade? You give me your yoke and I'll give you mine. And you will find rest. You will find the intermission. You will find that pause. Is anybody here feeling like this sounds like a really great offer? Given life? Given hurry, hurry? Given Steiner Ranch? River Place, 78730, 78703, 787, just pick your 787. 
given the go, 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 given pressure on kids to learn flashcards while they're still in diapers. Because we're taking college applications at eighth grade now, given the, you know, pressure to have the best kid and the best sports and have the best house and all that. It's just exhausting. Given the pressure of church and expectations and don't you be a sinner because we don't do sinners. We don't, don't have a history. Don't have a story because we don't do stories. Don't have sin. Well, that's kind of the point. Having sin isn't the point, but it's like the, never mind, you know what I'm trying to say. The word easy in verse 30 <laughs> is the word pleasant. My yoke is pleasant. Well, there's an ox, that's an oxymoron. What, what burden is ever pleasant? But that's the yoke of Jesus. When you, when you yoke yourself to him, it's pleasant. Those of us that were privileged to sit this weekend under Andreas Inslin's teaching, um, he talked about how the greatest thing you can ever do in life is just love God. I mean, nothing, nothing works until you love God. God is not last. God is, God is everything. And he's not even first. He's everything. And first and second and third flow out of that. If you don't love God, you're missing all of it. Well, that's what the, Jesus is saying. Look, yoke yourself to me. It, it's, it's a pretty good deal. It's pleasant. So a couple of really important points I need to make out of this text before I apply it to where we all are. The first is Jesus makes a direct relationship between learning from him and experiencing his rest. I want you to note that connection. Rest doesn't just happen. Rest happens when you learn from him. Isn't that interesting? By the way, the word learn is the same word for discipleship. It's, it comes from an English word mathematics. It's the Greek word mathetes, and it's a root of that. And so... When Jesus said make disciples, he said make learners. A learner is someone, a disciple is someone who's learning from a teacher. And so Jesus said, when you start learning from me, listen, when you start learning from me, the fruit of that in your life is going to be rest. Ouch! Because <laughs> I don't look very rested. So if the fruit of your life is not rest, from whom are you learning? From what are you learning? Because Jesus said, my yoke's pleasant. It's not going to make you tired. It's not going to wear you out. It's not easy. It's not easy in the sense that there's not things required, but it's pleasant. It's a good work. It's going to make you joyful. It's going to give you perspective. It's going to set you free from things. But there's, an, there's a direct relationship between rest and learning from Jesus. So if I'm not experiencing rest, even in the chaos of this world, rest is not freedom from chaos. It's peace and the presence of Christ in the chaos. Many of us today with heavy hearts can still find rest. But it's directly tied to learning from him. And learning from him never happens by accident. It, learning from him is a, is a discipline. It's a, it's a choice to enter into his circle, to join his team, to be one of his disciples, and to take the appropriate steps to allow him to teach you through his word, through his Holy Spirit, through his people. You're doing it now by being here today. There's a relationship, direct relationship, between how much rest you have, again, not freedom from pressure, but just 
peace in life, even in the midst of chaos. The, I don't need to perform. I don't need to keep up, all that, and learning from Jesus. So if you're not experiencing that rest, you're probably not listening or learning well. The second thing is Jesus is offering the exact same thing that God offered the nation of Israel, and you've got to see this. When Jesus said, I will give you rest, all these alarms went off for the crowd, especially the Pharisees, because they'd heard that before. They'd read that in Exodus chapter 33. It'll be on the screen. When Moses is trying to negotiate with God, he's like, you guys are going up the promised land. I'm done with you. Knock yourselves out. I'm staying here in the desert. And Moses says, if you don't go, we're not going because you're the whole thing. And if we've, if we've got to stay here in the desert and never see the promised land, but God, if you don't go, it doesn't matter because what good is it if you deliver us from the Egyptians and not take us to the promised land? And God's like, you're a stubborn people. I'm not going. And Moses is like, please go. And so in Exodus 33, verse 14, Moses hears God say, my presence will go with you. Look at the phrase. I will give you rest. So Jesus didn't just come up with that. <laughs> Jesus had read that as a young child and as a young adult and found his identity in that. I'm the rest giver. And the rest that God promised Israel, peace on their borders, provision. They wouldn't have to worry about food or water. They wouldn't have to worry about enemies winning the day. Listen to this. They have great leadership. They have an, a law that would, that would distinguish them from the rest of the nations, all the things. Jesus says, Jesus says let, me, let me see if I can quote my father. I'll give you rest. What God promised Israel, I'm promising to you. I'll go with you, and I'll have your back, and I'll guide you, and I will direct you, and you'll have peace on your borders. So when Jesus says this, He's quoting God, and he's saying, hey, we're the same. Don't miss that. He wasn't saying, I'm like the God of the Old Testament who promised Moses. He said, I'm the God of the Old Testament who promised Moses. Okay, so let me tell you three things from which God delivers us and gives us rest. The rest, first of all, from the burden of sin, guilt, and shame. And I wanna offer this to anybody in the room who's blown it. Just made that, cross that line you never thought you'd cross. Said those words you never thought you'd say and you wake up one day in the aftermath of a really poor decision or poor decisions or a season of bad decisions, and you're going, how did I get here? And you're overwhelmed with that internal pain that comes with shame and guilt and condemnation. And Jesus said, I'd like to take that. Jesus says, I'd like to take that from you. Isn't that amazing? And you have to know and believe that you're not the exception in history. He died for you too, and your sin is not so great that he can't relieve it from you. And yes, you need to own it and confess and bring it to the light and repent and stop and move the other direction and all the things that come with being restored, but you don't need to carry that burden anymore. There's no sense of you both carrying it. And he's got it. 
He died with it and for it. So I've, I've said a lot to myself in moments of shame. There's no sense of me carrying this. I'm actually insulting Jesus by thinking I've got to carry this too. It's actually insulting to Jesus to say that his, his work on the cross is not sufficient enough and I need to wallow in this a little bit longer. That's insulting to him. He's enough. So you need to confess it. You need to own it. You need to repent and walk the other direction and, and take the steps to burn the bridges and get free from that and cast out the demonic presences that you may have invited in from whatever bad decisions you made. So, so okay, do that and move on. But let him have that. He died. He got the right to own it when he died. You need to let it go. Secondly, this is, I love this one. It's the rest from having to keep up. And that's with the pace of culture and the pace of our kids and, and what the teachers expect. And teachers are great, but they have pressure to get a, a product out by the time kids graduate from whatever grade they're in. And they've got pressure for test scores and for performances. And coaches have pressure for wins. And parents have pressure to be the best. And also or it's the pressure of, you know, everybody around you is making this much money. You're not making this much money. And, and it's just the pressure we feel in culture to fit into our culture, which is out of control, by the way. And it's exhausting. What if you could be free from that pressure of having to keep up? So this summer, I made a run in a mountain and didn't do very well. Um, I, I was trying to climb a mountain in, in Aspen. It was Maroon Peak, one of the most photographed mountains in the world. And we got a campsite on the road, and um, I had COVID about two weeks earlier. And really felt pretty good, but I'd flown in the day before, didn't acclimate, drove to Aspen, camped at the trailhead, started with my daughter, and we had a guide because the upper section's pretty gnarly, and we didn't want to try to navigate it alone. And I didn't make it to 11,000 feet. I mean, it was still dark when I turned around. Uh, we were going up this, you know, you navigate back, and you start this real st steep, real, real steep. It's one of the steepest climbs of any mountain in, in the 14 or is really steep. Just, they call it a slog. It's just hard. 2,000 feet of just, well, it's called 2,000 feet of suck. That's what it's called. That's what everybody calls it. It's just, you're just going to embrace the suck for 2,000 feet. Two hours of just pain. And I didn't make it 20 feet into that. And I couldn't breathe. I was dizzy. I was nauseated. And I thought, this is, and, and, and my daughter and this guide are just bounding up the mountain. Just like, oh, this is so much fun. Happy, happy, happy. I can see their little headlamps just bounding up. Isn't this great? Ooh, look at the stars. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I've never been happier when we turned around. It meant failure. It meant I'm not going to get the summit. It means I've got to come back to Aspen and try this again at some point. But, man, it felt when we turned around and I started going downhill, I was like, I'm free. I'm free. I'm having to keep up with these idiots on this mountain who think this, who think this is fun. Why would you ever think this is fun? Can, what if you got free from that? What if you got free from having to keep up with, remember the saying, we're keeping up with the Joneses? Theology, if the Joneses were content, they wouldn't need keeping up with. The Joneses aren't content because they keep, striving for more. If you're trying to keep up with the Smiths, the Davises, the Joneses, there's something to be said about the Davises and the Joneses and the Smiths not having all that they want. What if you could just jettison that? 
One of the, the things that the rest of Jesus invites you to as a follower of Christ is the freedom from having to keep up with the insanity of culture. What if you just decided today to jettison that and say, I'm done. I'm gonna let my, I'm gonna learn from Jesus and let him set my pace. Because that's gonna give me rest. The final thing from which he wants to free you is measuring up. Keeping up and measuring up. I hate letting people down. Hate it. I hate not meeting people's expectations. My family, my friends, you. I mean, I can't stand it. And if you try that long enough, it'll just, it'll just kill you. So the only person to whom you have to be accountable on performance is the one that has created you and wired you, and that's God. And he doesn't do this anymore. He doesn't get that measuring rod out and go, well, you're still coming up a little bit short. Because what happens when he looks at you is he sees Jesus. He sees holiness. He sees his son. And he may recognize that there's some gaps between you and his son, but, but he's, all he does for the rest of your life is fill in the gaps so that you look exactly like the imprint of his son. But he sees the imprint of his son first, and then he sees your gaps, not vice versa. So the measuring up of the people who have the great GPAs, or the people who have the biggest portfolios, or who live in the nicest neighborhoods, or have the best titles in front of or behind their names, or seem to just have everything, or make the, get the scholarships versus those who don't, or just seem to literally and figuratively hit everything they swing at. They're not really the standard. Bless them, good for them. You may be that person, but, but you're not the standard. The only person who ever got humanity right was Jesus. Every other person on the planet is less than human because of sin. Jesus showed us what humans were meant to be. So why are you patterning, your, patterning yourself and imitating someone, patterning yourself after and imitating someone who didn't get humanity any better than you are? I didn't say that well, but you, do you get that? He, you're, that guy who's getting it all right isn't the standard. He's just as messed up as you are. He may be doing it great in culture, but on the, in the kingdom of God, he's a failure like all of us. So why not imitate the one who knew what humanity was supposed to be and showed us? And he's the most counterintuitive, countercultural person who ever lived, Jesus. He's the goal. And his yoke is easy. So the invitation today is just jettison that junk. Get off the treadmill. Take a big, deep breath. And decide to let the one who's instructing you on your pace and on your values be the one who understands humanity better than anybody. He also understands temptation better than anybody.
back to Exodus 33. Worship team, you guys are welcome to come on out. Exodus 33. When you hear the words of God one more time. My presence will go with you. My presence will go with you. Will you say the next phrase with me? And I will give you rest. Now I want you to change it to he will give me rest. Say it. And he will give me rest. Doesn't that sound great? So two weeks ago, we ended this service with a song and inviting men and women and boys and girls to let the song kind of be over them, sung over them. And John, David, and Megan and this crew have found another song that's similar to that. And what I did two weeks ago, because I'm in the season of needing this as much as anybody else, I just walked down and said, I'm going to stop being a pastor for a minute and going to be a Christian. I'm going to walk down and let these guys sing this over me. And I'm going to do it again today. I'm just going to say, I want to stand at the front and let this be a moment where I release my heart and, and again, commit to, I'm going to learn from one source. It's going to be Jesus and let him set my pace. If you're having a similar need to maybe leave some stuff up here, then there's no pressure, but and I'm fine standing alone for three minutes. I have no problem doing that. I do it for 30 every time I talk to you, so I can do it for three. Um, but if you want to come stand or kneel and maybe leave, figuratively leave some, bring that pack up and set it down. Bring that load up, that burden up. Pick up his and walk back during the song. Feel free. And I'll come back up after the song and, and dismiss us. Lord, I pray for the moment. Pray for Megan as she leads us. I pray you'll set captives free, and we thank you for the promise of rest. Wind of God, blow into this room.